Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm gonna be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate all right so you're listening to this podcast right now london is blue and guess what we host our podcast on anchor.fm that's right if you're looking to host your own podcast this is the easiest free way to get started. This has got a content creation tool allows you to record and the podcast right from a phone. That's right, don't even need a computer, but you can do it there too. They'll also help you distribute it, which is probably the most challenging part. You don't want to have to mess with that. They got you covered. You can get it right on a Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well as any other place podcasts are found. And you know what? You can monetize it too. Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. This is Cesar Pliqueta. This is William. This is Ali Riley. Hi, this is Ruben Loftus-Cheek, and you're listening to the London is Blue podcast. Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the London is Blue podcast, your home for all things Chelsea FC. Dan, Mike, Nick, and myself cover all of Chelsea's latest matches, team news, and even throw you some exclusive interviews. Thank you for being an awesome listener, and with no further delay, let's jump right in. All right, Chelsea fans, we are back post-Liverpool recording day of, Dan, this is a dangerous situation to be in recording so shortly after the match. It's uncharacteristic of us. It is, but there's a lot of stuff going on. There were the Masters that we wanted to get some watching time in that I know Nick was looking forward to, and we also have to make sure there's time, as many people listen to our Game of Thrones special, that we have ample time to prepare, a.k.a. drink, before the Game of Thrones (laughs) premiere, Nicholas. Uh, Correct. The... The biggest thing not named Tiger Woods today is is actually tonight. So I'm uh, I'm excited to get back into Game of Thrones. We've been doing a lot of of hype for it, and uh, you know, look, I I know that last uh, couple of podcasts wasn't for everybody, uh, but that's okay. We we just wanted to have some fun, and now we're back to the chels. And thanks for those who listened. We appreciate the uh, the positive feedback from a lot of people and those who don't. We'll just make sure to continue to provide an appropriate warning so that you can. Just move past that episode and wait for our next Chelsea Focus one, which is 99% of the content we put out here. Did you guys get my uh, my uh, slanderous reviews? Make sure you, you, got, you got those noted, right? Since you <laughs> left me out in the dark on my own. Yep. 
Look, well, look, King you, Joffrey. Can you just you, stop it, please? You left you out in the dark. That's you made a personal choice and were left out. That's a you problem. Interesting. All right. Well, you know what? I think what we can do here, something we can all get behind, is just just talking a little Chelsea here. So, um, as we're getting back into related information, Nick, um, we are well into the the football blogging awards competition and we would like to thank everyone for their support and maybe even request some more that's right uh, we, we have to make this final push guys we are really grateful for all the uh, votes that have been streaming in so far um, there have been quite a few and we appreciate everyone uh, if you have not contributed yet uh, this is this message is for you uh, please help us out go to footballbloggingawards.co.uk forward slash vote now and that's where you can uh, hit the drop down under best international content creator, select us, hit the best uh, podcast drop down, select Chelsea Fancast, and then bounce over to the uh, best fantasy uh, production and then drop down and hit always cheating. That's one way to vote. So there are three different ways. Instagram, you go uh, to at football blogging awards, click on the best international content creator photo, and then in the comments, uh, tag at London Blue Pod that counts as a vote. Finally, Dan on Twitter, what does what does the group have to do to vote for us there? Very easy. It's our pin tweet. But if you don't want to go looking for that, it's just tweeting. I am voting for at London Blue Pod in at the FBAs for hashtag Best International Content Creator. It's just that simple to throw us some love, and we're down to the wire here. I mean, it's about less than two weeks remaining of push for votes right now nick yep so we will continue to be annoying <laughs> for the next couple of weeks but we really appreciate everyone contributing i'm i'm hoping that we can take home the crown and and also help our friends at the chelsea fan cast do the same all right well look we're just we're just banding together we're we're band of brothers all right we're we're chelsea brethren and we're trying to to you know just dominate outside of the football pitch so uh, also, more domination, Dan, are our iTunes reviews. Huge five-star shout-outs for these. Yeah, you know, definitely. Thank you so much for those who continue to give us five-star reviews. I didn't get my regular email update from the service we use to funnel them to us, so I don't have any from outside the U.S. store. But I want to thank Robert Hansen. We want to thank uh, Alex in Ann Arbor. We want to thank uh, Bazur. And we want to thank non-wizarding mathematician, who I think we know who that is. Um when they got the, get their starting lineup right, this pod is the the Munich 2012 of Chelsea podcast. Five stars would download again. So thank you for that one, Shane or Aerith Muggle, as we know him well. Uh, appreciate that. Uh, and then for the Patreon, big time here, Robert, Remy, Andrew, all joining uh, in the last week. Welcome to the Discord. Uh, it was a great time chatting with uh, those of you who are participating this past week. But we have to jump right into this one. It is the match review of Liverpool in the Premier League at Anfield this past Sunday or today, <laughs> April 14th. Scoreline, Liverpool 2, Chelsea none. Score predictions, probably none. So immediately, Dan, we go right into the lineups. Yeah, and a little bit of a shocker because everyone might have been expecting with how well Giroud and Hazard have been playing with one another, that we might see that lineup replicated again. However, 
Mauricio Sarri throws us for a little bit of a wrinkle, goes back to that false nine that we've seen that did work well, at least at one point this season when we played Manchester City. We saw Kepa in between the sticks at goal. Rudiger, Dava Luiz is our center back pairing with Emerson and Azpilicueta on the left and right. We saw Jorginho, Conte, Ruben Loftus-Cheek as our starting midfield three. And then we saw William, Calum Hudson-Odoi, and Eden Hazard as our forward three. Willie Caballero was on the bench along with Andreas Christensen, Ross Barkley, and Mateo Kovacic, Gonzalo Higuain, Pedro, and Olivier Giroud. So right out of the gates, Nick, just sorry throwing us for a little bit of a curveball. And initially I thought it might be okay, maybe? Yeah, I mean, if you watch us play against Manchester City this year, um, this isn't like a super surprise to me that sorry wanted to use kind of the speed up front to hit on the counterattack and um, you know, I, I think for at least one half of football, that, that game plan seemed to work pretty well. And, you know, again, given Iguain's struggles, given Giroud just played on Thursday, and, you know, I, I, I don't really think this is a massive surprise. Um, he's following kind of the same scripts and just unfortunately didn't work out for us, Brandon. I think big opportunities for Ruben and Callum hudson Adoy, obviously. Uh, going back to David Luiz, uh, going back to Emerson, I think that it was also a bit of a bold lineup from him because it'd be easy to go with experience in a big match. Uh, but he did give those those two young players an opportunity to try to um, be dynamic and, and impact the match in a positive way. You know, it, to me, like it would have been easy to have Kovacic in there and really just try to shut down the midfield. But the inclusion of Ruben and his ability to get forward just showed to me a little bit more of a, a positive uh, plan from Rizzo. Uh Definitely not a negative one. Same thing, William and Pedro, they can both defend. Uh, Callum is not ready to defend. He is ready to run uh, you know, run at defenders all day. And, and that's what he did when he got the chance. Um, obviously, an unfortunate injury right away forced Rudiger off. Hopefully, that is not season done for him. But anytime a player is holding their knee and can't continue, um, it is a, a bit nervy. So I would give a shot to Christensen, who came in um, and played uh, a, a big role in this match, uh, you know, as well. So looking down the line uh, of stats, so 35% possession for Chelsea, only one shot on target. And this is from the, the Premier League site. It just doesn't sound right to me um, because Ed Nazard hit the post. And then shortly after that, it was a save from Alisson. So unless a post isn't a shot on target, I don't it's know. Not. It's not? Really? Nope. Mm, nope. Interesting. All right. So only three total shots. Liverpool had eight shots, three on target. Um, and then Chelsea from there essentially, you know, swept up the tackles, the clearances, the uh, the the defensive, uh, you know, s- side there. Uh, apparently Liverpool only fouled us three times. Chelsea fouled them four times and we received the only caution. Is a fair caution though. Um, not to get into Oliver just yet. I will skip right to the goals, Dan. 51st minute, Sadio Mane. Uh, gets the opener, assist Jordan Henderson. Yeah, really, the worst part of this goal might have been the fact that Jordan Henderson got to celebrate in the way that he did, and he is just... This is just a loathsome team. It is very easy to hate this Liverpool side for basically anyone that is not a Liverpool supporter. There's probably a closet portion of Liverpool fans who actually detest their own team. I got to think that that's a reality, Nick, because this goal... Just happened to come out of nowhere. It really 
epitomizes the issue that this team have had coming out of the second half. I don't know what type of halftime talk does or doesn't occur, but we just might be playing Enya in the locker room or something, (laughs) just soothing the team into a catatonic state before they come out because this was a quick goal and you could just, if you're writing the script for this game, I think you knew the goal was going to be coming at this point in the match. Yeah, I, I actually think that Sala got away with a foul on Emerson to lead to the the pass for this goal. Totally. Um, I stand by that. I know that there are a lot of people on Twitter who disagreed with me. Um, that's, you know, it, it doesn't matter because they got the goal, but I think Sala was able to get away with murder, including diving and... Uh, lots of just niggly fouls in this game, and it's really disappointing uh, to see that. But, yeah, I mean, we, we left the far post open. <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't know what else he can really do uh, in that respect. So uh, easy goal for Liverpool. What is annoying is that I think if Kepa would have taken one more step, he probably would have had a chance to save it. And when I looked back, he actually left his feet surprisingly early, especially with how quick his feet are. But, look, that's all happening so fast. Uh, he probably just left his feet as quickly as he could to try to get as big as he, he could. But at the end of the day, if he would have taken one more step, um, that's what was like painstaking for me is that it seemed like he actually had a chance to, to get to it. Um, but what would they say? Two minutes and 21 seconds later, 53rd minute, Mohamed Salah assist Mohamed Salah. I mean, that was all down to him. We stepped off. In. No, 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 no. According to the Premier League, Virgil Van Dyke gets the assist but for he, this goal. That's fine, but he didn't do anything. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's like the that's like the Ruben assist for Hazard's goal on Monday. <laughs> yeah, here's a here's a nice soft pass. You can go do the rest. Exactly. Um, this goal pissed me off a ton, um, just because uh, I think for me. Uh, I've been like in arguments with my Liverpool friends all season about the fact that um, Salah just isn't as good as is what they continue to say he is. And I don't care what you say. Like last year was a fluke. Even him settling is 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 a lot lower than than last year. And they just refuse to believe he's anything but but a god. And what sucks about this is it was a it was such a well hit ball, but we just dropped off. Like from a defensive standpoint. Um, there, there weren't the layers, there weren't the covers. It was just, it was soft and I hated every single second of it. Yeah. It's, it it was, this was a very frustrating game on a lot of levels, but I think a a reoccurring theme in Chelsea season has been these five, 10 minute lapses in concentration. And I don't know, Dan, what you think about this, but it seems like every time we have one of these lapses that the other team takes advantage and then you know what you know I think what could have been for us on the other side where we had a a five to ten minute stretch of brilliance right after this goal was scored we didn't capitalize on our opportunities and that just seems to be how it's gone this year yeah if you wanted one player to score less than any other on the pitch it was probably Mo Salah given the fact that you knew immediately afterwards the announcers were referred to them as a former Chelsea players come back to bite them in the ass moment. And we <laughs> absolutely got that. And then we got to hear more about the amazing atmosphere blowing the roof oh, off God. at Anfield oh. and all this narrative tomfoolery that comes with the romanticization of Liverpool. And I don't know it, it it might be the worst team to lose to. It really might be. And this goal did nothing other than just to 
raise the blood pressure just a little bit more and get you that more peeved at the fact that Chelsea had opportunities to make this thing level and couldn't pull them off. And I mean, you have to say it, unfortunately, but credit to Liverpool for taking the chances when they came to them. Yeah. And look, I, I think Dan, to your point, like obviously they won the game, they deserve to win, but the media's obsession and just straight up to me bias uh, is crazy um, around Liverpool. Like they 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 want Liverpool to win the league so badly that like every NBC and this is NBC in, in the states and this is you know Sky and everyone in, in the UK too. They they want this. You know, they want the atmosphere at Liverpool to be the best. They want the goals to be the best. They want this like cauldron of momentum because they know that City still have a game in hand and can win the title by one point if all you know if, if both teams went out. And it's just I don't know, man. It's something about that rubs me the wrong way. I know our friends over over in the UK, Brandon, have talked about this kind of bias for a really long time, considering the pundit class is largely made up of former Liverpool players, but it just uh, it kind of kind of rubbed me the wrong way. I, that's a, I mean that's a huge part of why it pissed me off is because it just fed into all those narratives, kind of like Dan said. And I know Chelsea didn't. Um, I, I thought Chelsea did well. Um, I, I'm like hesitant to say they did enough to get something out of it. I mean, obviously, Eden had two brilliant opportunities shortly thereafter um, that really would have just deflated Anfield with two swift kicks to the nuts and it didn't come it just they battled so well in the first half I felt like we overcame some adversity losing Rudiger it was always a tight edgy game but it just fell short today and I think like I said that's just what is so annoying is that a we've had such a roller coaster season and then two this just fits so perfectly into kind of that bullshit narrative that is running around the league right now. I mean, the, you know, the men and boys just joke around about the script writers. Um, but just like in politics here in the United States, right, like the media forms narratives and it influences, um, you know, consumers and, and listeners' behaviors and thoughts. And it's just been so pro-United in Liverpool lately. Um, even sometimes City are villainized because of the way they do it or because, oh, well, they should be doing this well because look at how much they've spent. And that's not realistic. Like that's not objective at all. Um, and so, like I said, while the match day was really frustrating, I think just the overall kind of lack of objectivity that we, you know, we've been seeing continuously uh, over the last four or five years, for whatever reason, just kind of bubbled up uh, to the surface for me today. And it was really unfortunate because I was sitting in the living room on the floor on my laptop watching well, my girlfriend's family uh, were watching the Masters, and I we were there for pre-Easter uh, <laughs> brunch, so I was not in a great mood today. But you were pre-gaming Easter, so I mean, I think that's pretty cool. <laughs> They're all like trying to ask me about the Minnesota United match and stuff, and I'm just like, <laughs> not social at all. So I'm, I'm working on it. I apologize. All right. Well, um, all right. So real quick, the. F- First thing out of the gate, I think we should talk about which it ties into the lineup. Nick is is the tactics for the match. Did do you think that Mauricio set out with the right tactics for this match? Um, and then with Chelsea conceding nothing major to Liverpool in the first half, was a positive. 
and then we came out and everything fell apart right after the start of the second half. I mean, once Maurizio changed it up and put a striker on, Chelsea kind of finally started to look like they got some chances. So uh, in your eyes, do you think it was kind of uh, tactics with this lineup or more of a, uh, I don't know, just typical Chelsea this season falls asleep either, you know, like it's either right in the first half or right the second half, it seems like. It's probably a combination of a lot of things, to be honest. I mean, I... I, I wasn't necessarily anti the false nine approach, but I think what we've learned about that approach this season is it's largely not going to be Hazard who gets a goal in that scenario. So it really depends a lot on William and Callum Hudson Adoy and you know maybe even a Ruben Loftus Cheek to to come through and and get a goal in that formation because it's just not. You know, like Hazard's just so marooned on an island that it's just, you know, of course Van Dyke and, and any other combination of Liverpool defenders are going to kind of focus on him. So, you know, on the, on the one break that we did get in the first half, you know, it, you know, William blasted his shot eight yards wide and it was really disappointing. Um, so if, if I were, you know, kind of in the manager's shoes, Dan, I would have put Giroud on immediately at halftime because I think what this game missed from the Chelsea perspective, I thought we defended relatively well. I mean, obviously we gave up two goals, but given kind of the furor that was in the stadium um, and and I think all the all the foam momentum around Liverpool that the team showed up defensively, they just didn't have anything to link it together up top. The interesting thing, and I think it might have been a tad impacted by the fact that Christensen had to come on earlier than anticipated or anticipated in, in zero regard. I mean, he was probably the most surprised out of anyone that he was going to get a chance to play today. And I think we also have to caution that we hope it's not a serious injury for Antonio Rudiger. Obviously, he's had an ACL issue in the past, which you know was hurt his time at Roma, and it didn't look like he was very happy, went right down the tunnel. Mauricio said at the press conference after the match that he really can't say more, that the doctors have to investigate it to understand what exactly is going on. But that could be a, a huge blow for us. But obviously more important is, you know, just you hope that he's okay. I would agree that I wish Giroud actually had started the match. I think different than what we've seen in this match is that, you know, we were, again, you know, versus City, like we were willing to kind of play on the counter, play on the counter, play on the counter. And... I kind of think that, you know, what we've seen, though, is that, you know, you, when you tend to have two big-bodied center backs that even Eden Hazard, you know, who was not protected in any capacity in this match by the officials, really wasn't afforded much to do much about anything. And even Higuain, when he came on and gave us the advantage of playing 10.5 versus 11, you know, you really had the opportunity to see that Hazard was so much more effective cutting in from the left and that potentially then with the rotation of a Calum Hudson-Odoi in the last 20, 30 minutes for a William might have been a more interesting substitution brand. And I think it just, I would have expected us to try to really go after a little bit more. We, we needed this result just as much as Liverpool did. And we should have expected the game to be open in that effect. You know, Liverpool couldn't just sit by and hope that they got one point out of this match. They needed all three for the title, and we should have thought about that from a mental standpoint, and that's where I think Riso did get the initial lineup a little wrong. Uh, you know, I tactically, I thought they did a good job. Um, I mean, I felt like 
they were super well organized, but we were still dangerous on the counter. So while Liverpool would, you know, get in and possess in the final third, I mean, I just remember the David Luiz pass to, to release William, right? Like, we are always dangerous and always making them think uh, and, and, and being aware of us and not being too comfortable over committing. So I think that, you know, and defensively, this is one of Dave's best matches all season. I mean, he stepped up big, and, and we've been talking about how he's been struggling lately. I just think that um, I, I thought it was a good balance in the first 45 minutes, but, you know, I'm just seeing, some, you know, on Twitter things that, you know, 45 minutes isn't good enough. It seems like Maurizio, we either get a good first half or a good second half. We can't get a good full 90. And even today, you think about it, he probably only messed up for 10 minutes, but 10 minutes killed us. They they, they buried two. So I, I, I really think that it was a lot of exe- it was execution today. Um I know we only had one shot and three total, but we were dangerous for the for the most part as far as like being able to run at Liverpool. Uh, the you know the problem is they they dealt with it. Unfortunately, they overloaded us uh, at one point on the backside, and um, and then they they hit an absolute wonder goal for the second one. And so to me, it seems like overall tactically we were competitive all match outside of those ten minutes. Um, and then, you know, Nick, your tweet about Iguain playing defensive midfielder and not running around with his head cut off. <laughs> right? Uh, to, to me, isn't that execution? I, dude, I don't know. I, I think they're, yeah. I, I mean, first of all, yes, you're right. I mean, if you're if you're Iguain and you're brought on to uh, change the game and try and go get a goal and you are dropping legitimately back to the center circle, um, like, what are you doing, man? And then to half-heartedly jog around the pitch, I, man, I, look, he didn't play Thursday. Uh, he played lackluster on Monday. He has not done the business. And the least that I can expect from a player of his uh, of his caliber is to run around and cause issues and to, to make himself a nuisance. And it, if he didn't get the ball, it looked like he was sulking uh, Dan, I was super, super frustrated with that sub, and and I really don't know how he he has a place on this team the rest of the year. Well, he's going to have a place because it's just down to the fact that you have two strikers, and this format doesn't work super well for us. And as much as we would hope that the body of work or the meritocracy would take place, it doesn't seem that that is always the case. As much as we try to preach that philosophy, so we will see he win again. It will be a similarly unfortunate performance. And I think we have to broaden that view just a little bit, though, because there were multiple times throughout the match that not just Higuain, but multiple players kind of got into a little bit of an apathetic approach towards the match, which was unfortunate. You could see that a little bit of that resolve changed with some of, not all the players. There was definitely some passion from some during the match, which was unfortunate. Like, I would never expect in this type of match a Chelsea team from five, ten years ago would ever have not had the foot on the gas for the full 90-plus whatever. And there were periods in this match where you saw players standing or getting up, you know, frustrated that they didn't get their foul. And, yeah, I understand you didn't get your foul or I understand that maybe you haven't been playing as much as you want this season or the fact that you're down 2-0, but the commitment level at times, not the entire match, but at particular times, like with Higuain, like with William, um, 
was questionable. And that was, I think, unfortunate as an undertone of the, I mean, it really just speaks for what the entire season is, which has been, you know, kind of a meh in terms of what should have been, you know, a great opportunity to kind of rebuild what this club, what this franchise means, and how do we kind of continue to press forward in Europe, in qualification for top four. And Brandon, it just feels like this was a a step back game for us in a lot of ways. I mean, it's probably average for the par if you think about this season, the way it's been. Um, it, It really doesn't it seems to fit. I mean, you posted the the breakdown of our results against the top six, and, uh, and you know, not only that, we're away. So yeah, like this is by the books. If if you kind of look at the season as a whole, uh, and even break it down to the top six, and that's uh, that's a hard thing to um, to accept and kind of to take on. And you know, there Marco, um, so Gate Seventeen Marco uh, tweeted. Um, Maurizio's post-match press conference uh, quote which was quote we played a good match against a wonderful opponent end quote Maurizio sorry and then Marco goes on to say I guess that sums up where Chelsea are at the moment we we used to be the wonderful opponent that opposition managers would wax lyrical about a lot of development work still to do to regain that status and uh, I think that that's kind of a good summation of where it's at Uh, I know Marco is very much looking above the manager while not giving the manager a pass, um, saying that club level, there are a lot of issues and a lot of things that need to happen. But this is, this is, this would have been a surprise, I think, to most people had we gone to Anfield and won. If anything, if that would have happened, the narrative would have been Liverpool cracked under pressure, not Chelsea went out and had a good performance. I think. That's the way it would have read. So um, unfortunately, that that's where we're at right now. Um, and um, this storyline stuck too. So um, real quick, we're going to take a quick break. and we get back, uh, we need to talk about what positives can we take away from this match. So uh, you probably want to hear about that. Here we go. All right. So yeah, question number two, Dan. Start, or, I'm sorry, Nick. I want to start with our uh, uh, eternal optimist here. Are there any positive takeaways <laughs> From this match, yes, there's some <laughs> there's some doom and gloom because obviously we've let Liverpool inch closer to uh, failing to capture the title. But <laughs> what silver linings are there for Ch- Chelsea supporters, if any? Uh, oh God, <laughs> go to really your academy players to give you the layup. Uh, well, like I, I thought that Ruben played relatively well today, and that was that was good to see. I mean. I think you you said it in the opening. It was it was a lot of trust that Mauricio put in into Ruben and into Callum, and then you know just by injury into Andreas. And you know I think you know that n- none of them really shined in my opinion. Um, but you know I think all three played relatively well. They acquitted themselves well. Um, I would have loved to see a few more of those um, kind of fast break opportunities. Go Callum's way um, than on on the left side with William, but you know I thought all of them played. You know all three of those guys played relatively well, and you know I think where we might have struggled, you know, especially in the second half, is uh, just kind of seeing how the midfield kind of changed. I mean, I think Jorginho did a relatively good job in the first half of of playing in front of the back four, and then. 
you know, the second half, that that whole formula got kind of swamped. I mean, they, they certainly, Liverpool's midfield kind of focused on him. And, Dan, that's kind of where I saw it fall apart, you know, personally. But any any thoughts on your end? I love how you were able to spin the positive into a negative. So I'll try to rebound just a bit here. <laughs> um, yeah, I think Kepa had two really, really nice saves this match. And that was a pleasure to see. One of them will not go down in the record books thanks to the offsides flag being appropriately called for one point this season, which is nice, especially in a game versus Liverpool. And yeah, I, I think I would also give credit to Loftus-Cheek for playing uh, you know, ultimately a really nice match, showing that mix of technical acumen that we know he has, along with the physicality to post up against uh, Virgil van Dijk, which is something that not many players in the Premier League are capable of, even though, I mean, look, he is the next greatest defender. Might actually be the greatest center back of all time. And if Ruben Loftus-Cheek is posting up against him and making his day difficult, well then, what does that make Ruben Loftus-Cheek by proxy? So we have to figure that out later. And then I know that, Brandon, you called this out earlier too, but I think Andreas coming in had a, a pretty tidy match and you know, with no knowledge that he was going to be playing, potentially managed to come in and I think was... a better than people thought he was going to be, at least from the initial shout, where people were very concerned about what the lack of Rudiger would bring to the the team. Right, absolutely. I mean, Nick right away in the text, uh, talking about how we're going to miss Rudiger's athleticism. Christensen knows that he's a, generally a smart player, uh, and, and that's what he, he focused on is... Um, you know, his positioning. You know, talk about this. So there's a positive. The announcer saying that, you know, Christensen has a bright future, whether or not it's at Chelsea or not. Um, so it's good. I think it was good to see Christensen come in and look like he belonged in this game because we talked about it. Like, Cho didn't. I mean, that doesn't mean that he should go back to the under-18s. It just means that this was a huge match and, like, Liverpool also put in tactics to flush him out. I mean, he was easily going 1v2, 1v3 at times, just like Eden was. Um, and so it just didn't work from today. And, and there's nothing to be concerned about that. Uh, the I, fact I think the that, one thing that we should say about Callum, though, is I think where he's benefited from in a couple of matches this season is we look at where he's been able to target a tall striker in the box sure, like Giroud. And there was not the same type of target for him where he might have had the option to cross in previously or threaten with a run in. I think all the defenders knew that there was nobody in the box, so he was going to have to take them either one-on-one or 2v1, and that really, you know, that handcuffed him in some capacity. I'm not going to give him a a complete write-off, but I do think, you know, structurally, one of the things that Callum is actually really good at is crossing the ball, and there wasn't really a target for him, nor there was a target for William, and so that made, I think, life really difficult for our attackers when some of the best skills that they have weren't able to be put to the best use. Right. And right. I, I tweeted, I tweeted this, uh, right after halftime, which is uh, one of the, you know, I think one of the things that Maurizio is, is told us about Callum and Ruben this year. And, and Ruben told us this himself when we interviewed him would be that part of the reason they may have not seen as much playing time is their defensive positioning and, and kind of tactical awareness. And, I was really impressed with how much, you know, kind of Callum kept the shape in the first half. And I think he did a really good job of 
of tracking back and then winning the ball and trying to trying to advance the ball upfield. You know, the the problem is when you're when you're so deep and you start from that deep of a position, uh, you know, it just it makes it really hard to to get the ball upfield and, and break as quick as you wanted to. And you know, I think to the other point, Callum isn't a run behind kind of like Pedro or Hazard type where he can time his run perfectly and receive the ball and shoot. He kind of has to create himself. And I, I think they're, you know, against a, a team that does have a good defense and Liverpool does have a good defense uh, and, and has some quick defenders. He didn't find as much joy as, you know, he might have against a West Ham or against a Brighton or, you know, teams like that. So it, it was certainly a step up for him today. And it was a step up for Ruben. And I think Ruben clearly had the better game of those two, but you know, it was if if you don't ever play against these types of teams, you're never going to know how to do it the next time. So, you know, Brandon, your your uh, complimentary piece of positivity is that you know even in a defeat, it's good to get Ruben and Callum and Andreas and and that type of player experience, so that when we go to United in in two weeks, that they are ready to roll. Yep. And uh, like I said, I think the confidence boost uh, and just the minutes for those guys. And, and I mean, before Maritza would say he trusts those guys, now he's putting them in. And I think Ruben's quote was, um, you know, at the beginning of the season, Maurizio told me to work on my defensive positioning. I did, and now I'm playing. So therefore, I think he's a man of his word. You know, maybe he really is. And like everything he's been saying all season actually is true. And it's finally clicking. And this is the right time to insert them. Um, but at the end, like there's nothing. I think, you know, the silver lining is what we're asked. I think the silver lining is that there's no damage done to the youth players. They were given very great minutes in a, in a big match at a big uh, away scenario. And they didn't fall apart. And I think that that's to me, the overall kind of silver lining, like you're getting at. Um, and then, you know, to wrap this part up, you just one word to sum up this match, and then we can even do a word or a couple words to sum up this season so far. Uh, Dan, you've had the most time to think about this, so I'm fully expecting you to be ready. Well, no, not really, but I can come <laughs> up with one on the spot. I would say if I were describing just the match today, I would say reflection because I think this match is a super reflection of where Chelsea are right now within this match, within this season, and then within the context of a larger Premier League where we are a little behind in every category and it's quite unfortunate sometimes to look at your reflection, but reflection would be the word I'd use. Nick, do you want to go or do you want me to? I'm good. Uh, Accurate. Uh, This, we are... You know, even though our season series is is a straight wash with Liverpool, you know, one win in the Carabao Cup, one draw at home, which, you know, of course we feel aggrieved by to this day, but, you know, one convincing loss away. And it's just accurate, I think. In the league, you know, we were only able to take one point out of six uh, potential against Liverpool. Uh, We're beating up on some teams that we should beat up on. And then... You know, otherwise it's it's been an accurate depiction of, of where this team is talent-wise and, and structurally. So that's how I feel. Uh, for this match, unfor- yeah, I think I'd already alluded to it kind of being expected or I wouldn't say maybe expected, but accurate, like you said. It, it, this, is an, this is very much 
a reflection of what this season has been. So you, you two stole mine. Um, so I will go first for this season. Um, this season has been annoying. And it's annoying because the players haven't played to their capabilities. The manager um, has done some questionable things. We have had off-the-field issues, whether it's racism and uh, with fans, which is relevant again after Prague. Uh, it has been annoying because of a potential transfer ban and having to deal with FIFA's bullshit. Um, it is annoying because uh, the international fans and the local uh, match-going fans are more divided than they've ever been. Like To me, um, this season is way less enjoyable than last season. Um and when Mourinho's fell apart. And to me, it's annoying because we've had some really good performances individually and as a team. We've had some really good things going on, but it just hasn't clicked. There's been no consistency. The expectations go from a 10 to a 4 from week to week. And that is just really hard for fans, I think, to wrap our heads around. Um, and so that is my long diatribe why this season, to me, has been quite annoying. Well done. I liked, I liked your approach there. Dan... Did I steal yours? No, but I, I just had to sit back for a moment and, and bask yours in how... Yours probably has more, uh, more um, whatever you call it. I don't call remember. What? What, like what when you, you have like Brandon? multiple parts to word and it has... Oh, syllables. Ha. Syllables? I like know words. Multisyllabic, you mean? No, that's not what I meant. Definitely just no. syllables. Okay, yeah. If we want to take the that approach there. Um, yeah, I... I sh- this is tough because there have been really enjoyable moments this season. There have also been, as you've pointed out, a ton of Debbie Downer moments to our season as a whole. And I would go with infuriating as the way I would refer to this because Jeez. it's risen enough to be, I think, beyond annoying to the point where it actually... I think is mood affecting for a lot of people and that that's not a first, not a really good thing for any of us to be so affected by sport that it causes, you know, just, you know, frustration to that level. But, you know, we've seen these piecemeal quotes that are so ham handed and uh, very unfortunate about the progress we've made when we've, had two of the worst defeats in a season that I can remember to Man City 6-0, Bournemouth 4-0, that I don't want to even ever recollect again. You know, we've continued to struggle against um, Tottenham at times. We have lost to Arsenal once. We have not had a good record against any of the other sides in the top six. And then on top of that, all the other issues with, uh, you know, some of our away fans, a, a very, very small minority of stupid idiots who will continue to get found out and get banned and not get to attend games in the future, which is the best thing that could happen. Um, That whole subtext has been another kind of just stain on this season. And I think all of that wrapped together has made it a little tough. I think, you know, just kind of bearing it out here, tough at times even record after some of these matches when stuff like that's going on. And so, yeah, uh, infuriating would be the word I would use, Nick. I, I don't know, man. I, I there's no other, yeah. There's no other kind of feeling I have on this. I, it's not. It's not been a lot of fun. Um, 
you know, there have been some peaks, there have been an incredible amount of valleys and, uh, you know, look, we're, we're just kind of in this, in this fight for our champions league lives right now, both in the Europa league where we've recently had an incredibly subpar performance and somehow got away with the win. And then in the league where we were on a decent run of form winning, you know, our last three and, uh, you know, I, I just, I, I don't think this has looked good for a long time, but especially after a result today, like if we come or if we come out of the Liverpool game with a draw, I feel pretty good. Um, that's, that's the difference a point makes in this, in this crazy journey that we're on. I mean, you know, United get two penalties yesterday and they're in, they're kind of back in this thing, you know, Arsenal still has yet to play. You know, they'll probably go forth tomorrow. Uh, Spurs, you know, without Harry Kane are, are back to their best, which is weird. And then, you know, we have a really tough run in and, you know, it's, I, I don't know. It's just really tough to imagine how this ends well for us right now, not to be a super I, Debbie downer, but it, it doesn't look good. I, I would say the only other word I would have used would be cumulative because this is the result of many seasons of either, poor transfer situations of not locking down certain players of not hiring or trusting the right managers. So this is not the result of one particular season. It is the result of many seasons where we've allowed someone like Man City or Liverpool to put us in a position where we are definitely a a, a tier two relative to those tier one clubs in the Premier League right now. Yeah, definitely a little bit of a a ways to go for Chelsea. Um, and hopefully we have this summer to write that a little bit. Um, anything else you guys want to pull out of this match that maybe we didn't talk to? I know it's it's been a... We're very like aware that this has been a somber episode. Um, but this is the culmination of, of a lot of things that have been happening over the season. So um, I get it. But Dan, Nick, anything else you guys want to pull out of this somber <laughs> match? So the the one thing I've kind of put in here is just some of the stuff that Mauricio Sarri is doing when he had a little bit of a, I think, positivity bump and PR bump over the last couple of matches, getting some, some good results, getting us back into contention for top four, which we still are technically in at the moment. Um, but talking about how that two, like two or three months ago, Chelsea wouldn't be able to stay in this match for as long as they did today, which is not a great look quote. And then oh. talking talking about how hard it is to cover the gap because the level is high up and to cover it against Liverpool and City will be tough for us, but now we're closer to other teams. Like, I don't know about you, Nick, but those are some of the most demotivating quotes. I I appreciate honesty, but maybe not so honest that you are kind of undermining, you know, your ability to maybe do your job appropriately. No way. So, like, here are the results. You lost to Liverpool two nothing. You beat we we beat Cardiff two one. We lost to Everton two nothing. You beat Fulham two one. Two of those teams we've won are now relegated. We lost to City six nothing. We lost to Bournemouth four nothing. Lost to Arsenal two nothing. Like Nick, the only thing that's saving him right now are the cup competitions. Yeah, look, I think we've all we've all been yearning for this time of. You know, I think we all appreciate honesty, you know, with, with from our managers, and we all want to hear, you know, kind of people tell it the way it is and be honest. And I just think for Maurizio, he just doesn't have a a filter at all, and he doesn't do himself any favors with quotes like this. I mean, 
I don't know if, if anyone else read the uh, the Guardian article around this, you know, the the Slippy G match from five years ago. But Mourinho, for all of his faults, and there are a tremendous amount of faults that he has as a manager, uh, basically won that game through mental strength. That was kind of the the lesson of that of that game. And he is he was such a dynamite motivator in his prime that a group of players who had no business winning at Anfield went there and won two nil and and walked it at the end. And you know, I I don't get that sense that that Maurizio does that to these players. I don't think he elevates their level. I think. At times, they they've appeared to elevate their level on their own, which is great. Uh, you know, whatever gets the job done. But yeah, I don't I don't get the sense to him that, that he's the guy that they're really looking to in times of crisis. No, not at all. Um, yeah, it's just it's just not a great place to be in. And as much as we try to uplift or tried to uplift at one part in this episode, uh, I think you know the deflation has seriously sinked in. I think the odds of us continuing to potentially vie for top four continue to decrease, and Europa League um, is the only maybe viable path we have forward to a return to Champions League. Which, again, you know, we, we talk about where Chelsea should be. Chelsea should be in the Champions League, and that's not a good spot for us to to be in if we're out. You're sure right, because that's going to make our offseason even more difficult than it is, and that is what scares me uh, the most. Um, so kind of as the, the, the table stands, um, Liverpool technically are in first, but they have a game more than City. So it goes Liverpool 85, City 83, and then the rest of us peasants. Tottenham at 67, Chelsea in fourth on 66, but we have a match more than the rest. United on in fifth on sixty four, Arsenal in sixth on sixty three. So again, we're all within four points here. We've played more matches than everyone else. Arsenal actually has two matches in hand at this point. So uh, I believe Dan, the way you looked at it is um, the 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 stats or the odds of us getting fourth are worse now. Yeah, they. it was about a 50-50 shot between us and Arsenal, especially after Tottenham have had the fact that once their talisman Harry Kane disappears, they end up just becoming a better side, which is wonderful. They, they did play against Huddersfield, though, so we have to just keep that in mind. But they do not have a difficult schedule, and it seems like the new stadium has given them that little end-of-the-season boost they might need to make some good times happen for them. So that left one spot on the table between us and Arsenal. We had about a 50-50 shot for it. And with the fact that now we've played more games and Arsenal have, frankly, a little easier schedule left, albeit they do not have a good away form right now, the scale has tipped slightly in their favor to 50%, 57% for them, then 40% for us is a chance to finish in a top-four spot. So uphill sledding, Nicholas, is what's going on here. As someone who lives in a, a state with snow, that's actually impossible, Dan. I, I know that's uh, that's why I used the phrase. I just want, no. I was translating for the rest of the people out there who probably don't live in snow-covered lands. There's literally snow outside our window right now. Complete coverage in the yard. Brandon, you're a wildling. You don't know what that means, but you <laughs> definitely are. Um, 
Yeah, look, guys, the picture's not good right now. We <laughs> Arsenal is going to play tomorrow. They're likely going to win. Um, it, you know, it it doesn't do us any favors. Obviously, the the match against United in two weeks is, I mean, crucial. It doesn't even begin to describe <laughs> how uh, how that match is, and and the fact that it's away, and the fact that our away form is so bad. Um, you know we're we're likely not gonna, you know, win that game on current form. So that would that would pretty much be done and dusted for the top four, and you know, then it's solely down to Europa League, and you know that's just not a gamble I'm willing to take with a, a manager who's not won a piece of silverware. So not uh, not good times. Nope, not indeed. But hey, we're we're gonna cover it. We're gonna talk about it if. Um, those of you out there have other ideas than obviously kind of what we touched on today, please um, get in touch with us, social media, email. Like We are happy to continue the conversation. I know we will all be personally um, in the Discord chat this week because that's what we, we always do. Uh, you know, we've already got people talking, you know, watching the highlights back and breaking down the goals that we gave up. Um, this one's gonna gonna take a while, and it's a quick turnaround as well. So we play Thursday, right at home, um, in the in the Europa League again. So second leg against uh, Slavia Prague. Uh, there, there's a lot that will still will still be happening, kind of as we as we get ready for everything. Um, there's not a lot of time to 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 kind of rest for the team. They've got to pick themselves back up and and keep going at it. So um, w- with that said. Um, Nick, anything else you want to end this one on? Uh, no, the only thing that I would I would want to say is that uh, it's about one month until Chelsea play in Boston um, on the 15th of May, and we will be there. Uh, we're kind of working to firm up our plans. We know the Boston Blues are going to be throwing a, uh, a shindig the, ne- the night before, so there's a, a great chance that we'll be there. And uh, and yeah, we're just I think we're we're really excited uh, to to see all of our brothers and sisters out and about and uh, and take in a little Boston time, Dan. Yeah, I think that's exciting. I think the two other positive notes that I would try to put out there, Mason Mount, first hat trick in English football this past weekend, and then uh, Reese James continuing to be just a absolute beast for Wigan, was our man of the match, scored from the penalty spot, and pretty much, I think as our friend Joe Tweedy said, Probably could be played anywhere, even in goal, though I, I doubt we would want to unseat Keppa for Reese there next season. We might want to look for him in a more strategic posting, Brandon. Well, we can try that. <laughs> we can see how that goes. Um, but anyway, Chelsea fans, that's going to wrap it up. Um, again, uh, tough times, but you know it, it gives us something to talk about, gives us something to think about. And uh, we need as many ideas. We, we need to crowdsource solutions for the club at this point. Um, and, and see what we can come up with. So again, get in touch with us, social media, email, uh, Discord, the best way to do it. Um, but thank you all for listening. You are all fantastic. The fact that you stick with the team every week, um, week in, week out, is fantastic and good for you on doing that. So until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.